Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. The Seattle Seahawks are 1-0, and they are taking on the Tennessee Titans coming up on Sunday. Going to be their first game back at home at the newly renamed Lumen Field, and they're taking on the 0-1 Tennessee Titans, who, man, they they lost to the Arizona Cardinals, our division rivals. Joining us here to talk about it, I don't mean to rub it in, Davey, but I, I might have to rub it in just a little bit. He's Davey Hudson, the host of Believe in Titans with the former Titans defensive back Denard Walker. You can follow him on Twitter at Davey underscore Hudson. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Brandon, for having me. I mean, I'll, I'll take the punches. I mean, when you want to talk about a poor performance, I, I apologize. You all did us a favor by taking down the Colts week one. Uh, unfortunately, we, we were unable to return end. the we favor. We held the bar end. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's it's one of those things to where myself and a lot of Titans fans included are just still kind of in a, a daze as far as like how bad of a performance that was for Tennessee. I mean, obviously coming into this season, the entire conversations around adding Julio Jones. All right, we're revamping the secondary. We're going to see how that looks. We went outside Bud Dupree, so we're going to have this pass rush that was lacking at times last year. So it looks as though the pieces were coming in and then we just did not see any of it take shape come this past Sunday. I think the biggest thing that surprised me watching back the game though, was the Titans offensive line. And I know, I know they have some guys with Chandler Jones and JJ Watt up on the front there, but I thought that the Tennessee offensive line, especially you know, you know with the run game working, I, I thought that they would be able to handle the Cardinals up front. For sure. And one of the things that I guess when you're looking at areas that the that you would think the Titans were going to do well, it would have been up front in the trenches on the offensive side. And I know Taylor Lewan's coming back from a torn ACL. And the questions like having him there, you got four starters back from last year that played solid whenever they were able to be out there. The question was right tackle. But Everything just stemmed around how poor of a performance Taylor Lewan had. I, I've never seen him play that bad. I doubt he has ever played that bad in a single game from Pop Warner all the way to the NFL and allowing five sacks for Chandler Jones, which is just unheard of in today's game. And I mean, I got to give Chandler credit. Like he did play lights out. And I mean, there's even like people are dogging Taylor right now, and it is rightfully so for them to do that. There's a play, he got pancaked by Buda Baker. And if you're an all pro left tackle and you're the one getting pancaked by a defensive back, there's a problem there. So I don't know what his issue is, but if you're a Seahawks fan right now, I'm thinking I, I would try to at least exploit it early on because I know they, that Taylor went out with what was an injury, but I'm pretty sure at a certain point they just kind of benched him. Cause that's how bad it was having him out there. Yeah, so I am curious, though, if if that's now a concern going into this game. You know, you mentioned Chandler Jones getting five sacks is unheard of. But I mean, as a Seahawks fan, I feel like Chandler Jones getting four sacks against Russell Wilson. Uh, it seems to happen every single time. I don't know if it happens in the manner normally that because he was just blowing right around the corner. It seemed like with Luan. It was it was effortless for him. And you look at the Titans adding new offensive coordinator Todd Downing to the scheme. You're like, all right, well, surely they shouldn't change up too much from what we had seen with Arthur Smith at the helm the last couple of years. Now, obviously, Arthur goes down to the Falcons, takes on the head coaching role there. But it just, the game plan was flat. The players' energy levels were flat. And so I really, like, I would love to give 
your audience an idea of what they should be expecting for the Titans, but it was just such a poor performance. And unlike anything I'd seen from this team, I, I don't know if I, I can look at the stats and say like, yeah, that's what you should see. Obviously there's some warning signs and I'm a guy that typically loves to dive into the data, but like, this is one of those games where it was just so, so awful across the board. I feel like I just kind of have to throw it out because I can't imagine that type of performance two games in a row from a team that has been a consistent playoff contender the last couple of years and has just really done a great job of being in close games. Whether win or lose, it's not the blowouts that you see with the Titans, at least under the Mike Vrabel tenure. Well, I feel bad because I've been talking up Ryan Tannehill this entire offseason. Like, this guy's one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the league. You know, not very many guys throw for 70% of their passes and, and throw for more than 30 touchdowns. It was it was some crazy stat that that he hit last year that really it's only happened. I mean, guys like Steve Young hit it. It, it. There was like a handful of guys. Drew Brees, I think, was one. And I felt like it went so under the radar the season that Tannehill la- had last season. And a big part of that is because you have Derrick Henry in the backfield, too. And you got A.J. Brown on the outside. And and now going into the season, you add Julio Jones. So there's all these weapons on offense. But I I, I do feel like, as a Titans fan, do, do are they seeing this as, as Tannehill kind of being under the radar? No, I, I don't think that's the case at all. And I, I agree with you. Obviously, I, I follow his team very in-depth. And Ryan Tannehill, from at least a national perspective, has often been overlooked I do believe he's undervalued, and I do accredit a lot of that to playing for Adam Gase because I think Adam Gase is just a, a quarterback killer. I mean, I, I'm here in Knoxville, so I've I've followed Peyton Manning for a long time, and like Peyton Manning's the only guy that Adam Gase seems like he's had success with at the quarterback position, and it's just one of those things where I think that Peyton Manning shine kind of rubbed off, and you saw that Adam just isn't the coach that you were expecting based off what he was doing whenever he had one of the the greatest to play the game as his quarterback. Now, going back to Ryan, his passer rating, just how efficient he has been in this offense has worked great for him. And I, I think it does go back to the offensive line, just didn't give him a lot of areas to work with. The team was undisciplined. I mean, there was one situation where I thought the Titans were kind of making, they were making some noise and you, we're like, all right, they might have an opportunity to get back into it here. It's third and one, and then Julio Jones picks up a personal foul penalty, bumps them back to third and 16. Obviously, the drive stalls, and they're not able to get anything going there. And it was one of those games where you hit AJ for a touchdown, but I mean, no one going into this game is thinking Chester Rogers is going to be your leading receiver. And you couldn't get any of your guys going. And it really, in my opinion, from the offensive side of things, started up front with the offensive line just getting beat from the first snap. I have to think that that has to be a concern, though, now again going into this week, because I mean, all this offseason we heard about how, uh, from a Seahawks perspective, that the Seahawks defensive line, it's the worst in the division because they don't have the star power like the other teams within the NFC West. And and that's true. They don't have the stars, but they do have a, a nice amount of depth. And we saw that show out against an Indianapolis Colts offensive line who everybody was talking about. OK, this Carson Wentz is behind a solid offensive line now. And yes, they did have uh, an injury at left tackle. 
but I, I saw pressure coming from all areas of the defensive line in this last game. And so if that's a concern for the Titans going into this game, right, I mean, just from a Titans perspective, I, I have to think that Seahawks fans should be kind of excited about the the potential that maybe this is a, a, a an offensive line they could expose maybe even more so than the Colts. I definitely think that that's where they should start. They're just having to send some disguise blitz because it just the offensive line, obviously it's a, it's a unit. And if you're not having that chemistry together, and maybe that could go back to the team, not having a lot of, or at least the first unit, having a lot of preseason reps, because it, it's one of those questions that I do think a lot of people are going to really look at for week two, just across the league, because obviously preseason gets shortened, but you just see a lot more teams just really go away from just playing any starters whatsoever. And I know that's kind of been a trend over the last couple of years. And if, if I am a Seahawks fan, though, I am thinking, all right, this is an opportunity for our defense to really show out. And you guys should be on a high after how you really handled that Colts offensive line last week. Well, and on a high after getting to see Daryl Taylor finally suit up for a regular season game after missing him all last season. And I know you're uh, you've, you've been following the Tennessee Volunteers, you know, going to school there. And yes, we we get to see Daryl Taylor. I, I want to know from you, though, just your perspective on Taylor on what you saw from him in college, because to me, just in the little bit of, of film that I watched after the draft a couple of years back, it seemed like he was a guy that, you know, he wasn't just line up on the end and rush the passer every time. He seemed like he was all over the field. He's an extremely athletic player. That's one of the first things that stands out when you watch him. Now, as a Tennessee Vol, one of the things that has been greatly missed for this program for, we'll say, the last decade has been quality coaching. And so it's one of those things to where I I think a lot of GMs in the league can find value in these Tennessee players because they're not getting coaching at Tennessee. Now, I'm hoping that's changing. Obviously, we made another coaching change in having Josh Heupel come in to relieve Jeremy Pruitt of his duties, and I, I praise the Lord that, that that change has happened. But it it's one of those things to where you can see the talent from Taylor, and I, I, I look back and I'm just like, man, this guy had so much ability, and I just don't feel like we were properly utilizing him to his fullest strengths. And, I mean, his quickness around like dropping that shoulder and just getting around the tackle. He can be a great player in that aspect. But I do think like having some of this coaching with just his ability, I mean, if they're wanting to drop him back and into coverage every now and again, just kind of like to change things up, I think his skill set would actually bode very well for him in that regard, being he gets the coaching necessary for it. Well, you talk about kind of that speed around the edge, but then even in this game, we saw on a fourth down play, he just he bulldozed over Braden Smith. And that's, yeah. you know, he's a good the, right tackle. The the power move. I, I mean, when I saw that, I was I was surprised. Like, I know I'm kind of struggling a little bit because like when I do go back and watch it, there might have been a time or two that happened while at Tennessee, but it never was against a quality team where he did that. Now, there were games where he had a lot of sacks, but he was it's really crazy. If you go back and you look at his college numbers, he was either all on or just off. There would be games where he was just stat after stat after stat. And then there would be games where it's like, I'm going to check the box score. I'm, I'm not seeing this guy at all. But you knew he had the talent. And you started to see later on in his career, teams start to account for him more often. But yeah, I mean, I think you guys got a, a real, well, he was he was a second round pick second last round. year. Yeah, in the early second draft. round in yeah. 2020. Yeah. And, and so I think having covered the team, I, I thought, well, with him being a 
a vol, he might slip into the late third, but Seattle obviously saw that he's a guy that they can look to add to that defensive line and send him from the edge. And he's going to be able to make some moves pretty quickly. And obviously he didn't get to play last year, but I mean, you saw week one definitely came out strong there. Yeah. He, he surprised me. In fact, just with that, uh, that move that he, that he put on Smith, but there's one other ball I want to talk to you about while we're on the topic. And that's Nigel warrior who the Seahawks picked up. I, I think it was off waivers uh, here and you know, right before the season started, unfortunately they had to move him to injured reserve and so we didn't get to see him in the preseason. We we haven't get to see, we haven't gotten to see him in the in the regular season. I'm I'm expecting that maybe it will just be in a special teams role to start. But since you're since you're familiar with the Volunteers, I, I I'm kind of curious about Nigel Warrior. Yeah, so Nigel Warrior, first off, all name team, uh, love the last <laughs> <Yes>. name. Uh, <laughs> for, for those that are familiar back in the day, his dad is actually Del Carter. Okay. So if you if you know who Del Carter is, uh, I mean Nigel, legacy player coming to Tennessee, and you know. For him making this move to the Seahawks, I'll be interesting to see if he does eventually get some play, but he's a guy that I've, I've, from everything I've heard, he has a great IQ for the game. He's a real team player. Maybe there are times that in coverage, he might let you down, and I, I think it does kind of come back to physical ability and just not fast enough to keep up in some of those instances, but one of the things that he has always been able to do, and that's lay a hit. So mm. if you're looking to see that pop, I mean, he's got that power to do that. So with his his time in Seattle, I'm not expecting to actually see him take the field, but I would love for the opportunity to present itself for him. Well, I appreciate the breakdown, and I'm I'm curious to see what we'll see from him, maybe on special teams if he does get some kind of an opportunity. So there you go, Nigel Warrior. Let's come back. We'll talk about some of the players on the Titans' offensive side of the football. How are those guys going to match up against the Seattle defensive backs? We'll talk about that coming up next. Talking to Davey Hudson, the host of Believe in Titans with former Titans defensive back Denard Walker. And, you know, we were we were just talking about the uh, defensive backs. And it, it's got me thinking because it's been a weakness for the Seahawks, at least going into this season. They lose Shaquille Griffin to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They do have DJ Reed. They they start Trey Flowers on the outside. And it it didn't seem to burn them at all against the Colts last week. But now... With the, with the Titans, with A.J. Brown coming into town, with Julio Jones. It sounds like Josh Reynolds may be coming back in this game as well. He was listed as a full participant today okay. in practice. So we're, we're kind of ex- hoping to see him get out there. He didn't do anything to stand out during preseason. And before the Titans actually ended up making the move to get Julio, you were expecting him to be your number two after Corey Davis left in free agency to go play for the Jets. So with adding the trio of Brown, Jones and Reynolds are thinking, all right, there's some opportunities for this Titans team to really attack some corners one-on-one, especially if the defense is having to account, maybe stack the box for Henry. It was really going into the season like, all right, defenses are going to have to pick their poison. But obviously, as I mentioned, to start things off, offensive line did not play well. And so it was really a dogfight from there. But if you do get into a situation where Ryan is able to go have a guy one-on-one and it's AJ or Julio, I, I do expect him to be able to take advantage of these Seahawks corners, but I am always leery of Jamal Adams over the top. Yeah. Jamal Adams is a guy who, well, you worrying about him over the top. We've got to worry about him in the run game too, but Derek Henry, that's a big dude to try and bring down. That was one of the things too. I mean, you could tell he was obviously frustrated 
based off of not being able to really even get to the line before he got hit last week. So I think he will come out. If this Titans team does not come out hungry and at least showing some sort of fight, I'm really going to start to hit the panic button at that point. I mean, like I said, one game in, there's no energy. It's like, all right, you got an opportunity to really fix some big time woes that these, that the fans and the nation saw. And I, I would also like to give a shout out to the New Orleans Saints for dominating the Packers because that at least took some of the heat away from the Titans for our poor performance. Right. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things to where I expect Derek to come out, and I really do think that this will be a battle between the offenses. It it does seem that way, especially with I mean the Seahawks. I I feel like with all the guys that they have, you know, Chris Carson ends up kind of going under the radar. Tyler Lockett, who had a two touchdown performance this last week, you know, with with DK Metcalf being kind of the star power of the offense along with Russell Wilson, th- those other guys tend to fly under the radar a little bit, at least nationally. I don't think that the teams, uh, you know, underrate them at all, but it does make you have to account for, you know, a situation where, yeah, you might have Tyler Lockett one-on-one at multiple times in a game because you're paying that extra attention to DK Metcalf. Yeah, and I know Tyler really, I mean, he lit up the stat sheet this past weekend, and I expect him to do the same this week. Really, when you look at the Titans secondary, I wouldn't say we're much better off than than you guys probably would for the Seahawks. The Titans did just have to put starting safety Imani Hooker on IR. It was mm-hmm. a position we were already very thin at, and that was last year. Kenny Vaccaro was really the guy starting there, and then they told Kenny, it's like, all right, we're going to go ahead, move on from you. And they moved on from everyone, really, when you look at that secondary. They got rid of Malcolm Butler. They got rid of Adoree Jackson. And so it just was really a change of the guard for the secondary outside of Kevin Byard. And Kevin, obviously, if you're a Titans fan, you're familiar with him, and I know he got all pro, but he's still a guy that not a lot of people in the league, I guess, for the casual fan standpoint, are aware of that name. But he can really play play deep and make some big plays. I mean, he did have an interception on Kyler, just read the route perfectly and and made his move. So I I just see these receivers for both teams being able to take advantage of the secondaries and Hopefully, from a fan standpoint, at least if you do have a shootout, that typically provides for some fireworks here or there, and it, it creates a good back and forth. And, I mean, after last week, like, I don't want to say I'm I'm really down in the dumps, but I would like to just have a reason to be like, all right, here's some excitement. This is the offense that I saw last year with the Titans where they were just constantly putting up points. I mean, you know, there for the longest time, we're averaging over 30 points a game, and the defense didn't help you at all. I think last year was the first time that a team made the playoffs where you finished in the bottom 30, you finished 30, 31st, or 32 in sacks. So the defense didn't help out very often, and so you had to really rely on this offense to take you really the distance. And it was kind of weird because once the Ravens came in for that AFC division game or wildcard game, it it kind of fell, and the, the Ravens' defense ended up shutting down the offense and then fell short of ultimately continuing in the playoffs. Were there any other big additions that that you see having an impact on the defensive side? I know uh, uh, Seahawks fans, you know, that are also University of Washington fans will recognize Elijah Molden, who I think was a third round pick for the Titans. And uh, so that was an addition. But I don't know if uh, if last week, if Titans fans are going to be very high on his performance uh, against the Cardinals. 
Elijah got the most run of any of the rookies last week, and while I think a lot of fans are high on him eventually, there was a rough start for him. I know Christian Kirk got him one time, and obviously if you follow Elijah, he's not exactly the biggest guy out there playing defensive back. Titans were looking to kind of move him around, but he does have a high football IQ. I mean, you can tell that he learned from his dad. He's a guy that understands how to play defensive back in this league, and eventually that's going to like him following his instincts is going to pay off in the long run, but he's still just having to kind of shake that off and take some bumps and bruises along the way. And so if I'm Russell, who I view as one of the most intelligent quarterbacks in the NFL right now, he's, he's seeing the secondary and he's probably feeling pretty good. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys got to watch the, the Manning cast yes. on Monday night <laughs> football, but I really enjoyed when Russell came in there and he was chatting with Peyton and Eli. And I don't know, maybe we have a, a new way to watch Monday Night Football moving forward there. <laughs> that was kind of cool. Yeah, I, I didn't watch all of the Manning brothers, but when Russ came on, I did watch that. Well, because it was one of the more exciting parts of the game, too, that he came in on in overtime. But I, man, I don't know if I want my quarterback doing stuff like that too much. He was talking about like his mentality and these types of situations. And I'm like, why are you giving that up to everybody, Russ? Yeah, it was well, funny you say that because, I mean, right before him with Travis Kelsey, Travis is basically like, Travis pretty much just told the whole world he did not know who his opponent was the next week. <laughs> right. He was like, wait, do I have the Ravens the next week? Like, so Peyton's like, obviously that answers my question of have you been preparing or not. But it, it's one of those things to where I think as a fan, you really enjoy just kind of getting to see some more behind the scenes look at how these defenses are, or the defense, the offense, how they're just trying to operate within an individual game plan and having Russ and Peyton over there break that down really did make for some entertaining TV and just some really informative scenarios for fans to, to really kind of play through as they're getting to watch the all 22 at some of these angles as well. Is there anybody else on that defensive line that, that Seahawks fans are going to want to know Bud Dupree is the name we brought up. Um, anybody else that, that uh, Russell Wilson and Seahawks fans should be concerned about. Yeah. Jeffrey Simmons. He's one of those guys that fell in the draft because of an injury, obviously had some personal issues whenever the Titans had him fall to, oh gosh, it's slipping up on me. I believe it's, I believe he fell to 19th in the draft a couple of years ago whenever they had the draft in Nashville. But he is what some GMs say, we'll put it this way, Seahawks fans are familiar with Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, obviously the best defensive tackle in the National Football League. There's an argument between like two through five, several GMs have rated Jeffrey Simmons as the second best defensive tackle in the league. Now, granted, there's a oh. large gap between one and two. Sure. <laughs> but but he's a guy, he's young. He's proven that he's able to go out there. He can get to the quarterback. He can plug up the holes. He can chase down a running back from behind. He's just an extremely athletic guy. And, I mean, he can make quarterbacks pay if, if the offensive line's not doing their job. I do remember him falling because it, at one point I'm thinking, man, is that a guy that the Seahawks should try and move up for? And it was 19th, so yeah, you nailed that. But yeah, that's uh, that'll be our first chance to see him then, probably as Seahawks fans. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully we don't yeah. see him at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if if that's that's the case, that's probably the number one guy on that defensive line. I would I would keep an eye on. Definitely yeah. put an X on him whenever you're watching. But outside of him, I mean, the Titans went out. They tried to get Denico, or they did get Denico Autry in free agency from the Colts. Didn't see much of him in Week One, and so it's like I would love to provide your audience with all right, this is like what you should see. But after week one, I'm just like, are the Titans just going to completely scrap the book and come come back with a whole new game plan? Because I feel like you kind of have to because 
the guys that we were all expecting to make some noise, you just never really saw it from any of them. And it's, it's, it's sad whenever that's the case, especially whenever you come in with so much hype going into the season. And I mean, myself included, you, you thought like week one, that's a game you can, you should be able to get out of there with the win. You're obviously at home. Arizona's having to come all the way from across the country. So, hey, you got a great opportunity. First time fans are back in the stadium and at least at this capacity. And so it's a it's a moment that you need to take advantage of. And the Titans just simply didn't do that. How are Seahawks fans feeling about finally getting back into or how are they feeling about getting the 12th man back? Oh, yeah, we we're fired up about it. This is this will be. Well, we had a couple games in the preseason and and it was a noticeable difference just having fans back there. And man, oh, man, I just have to imagine that for a week one game to kick off the season, it, it's going to it's going to get loud in there for for the Titans. And yes, so if they were going to if they really didn't want to start the season in the hole, it's uh, it's it's made it a whole lot tougher now having to now go on the road to Seattle and try and get the win here because I I have to expect it's going to be a tough one, but it could be one of those games where it's an offensive shootout. I, I could absolutely see that. Yeah, right now, you kind of go back to the Titans. I mean, going into the season, I had this game marked up as a loss right now. That's not changing after what I, I saw from both teams week one. But the Titans typically, I mean, the, the one stat, I know I've been kind of down on this, but Mike Vrabel, at least since 2019, and you've had Ryan Tannehill take over. Whenever you've had a double-digit loss, you've come back and you've won seven in a row. Wow. So that's that's one of those things that I guess just goes to show you his mentality as a coach and how he's not going to accept anything that is below the standard. And he's really helped for Titans faithful to kind of help raise that bar since he's came in and taken over for some coaches that just never really could get over the hump there in Nashville. And while at times you question some of his in-game decision-making. He is a quality coach in this league, and a lot of Titans fans are happy with him. Now, the coordinator situation, that's something to keep an eye on if things do continue to go south. He might be a little too loyal to his guys, and that could cause for some controversy amongst some of Titans faithful. But it's just too too early to kind of get in on that. But, yeah, Shane, Shane Bowen, the D.C., last year the Titans didn't even have – a de facto DC. And so you really didn't have much of an idea of like, all right, well, who's calling the place here? Well, they're, they're saying it's Shane, but it's like, is Mike having a big impact here or there? And now they're like, all right, we're turning it over to Shane. And then on the offenses talked about at the beginning, Todd Downing taking over for Arthur Smith. So it's like, are those guys able to go and put together a game plan that's going to utilize the weapons that they do have? I mean, try to get a win when you probably shouldn't. Well, hopefully they they can just take a week off going into this week. They can they can pick <laughs> things up after this game. Uh, I I'm excited to watch it, and I I think that I you know you talked earlier about hitting the panic button. When I look at the standings for your division, and all I see is Houston up at the top. Uh, I th- I think you're probably fine for a little bit. Yeah, just as we all expected, the team with the most <laughs> controversy heading into the season. Uh, their star quarterback. Healthy scratch. Obviously, he's got some off-field issues he's having to worry about. They've just completely mismanaged their roster. Jacksonville, you got the Urban Meyer. You got the number Trevor one Lawrence. overall pick. Yeah, yeah. And, and, the, and the Texans dominate. <laughs> and, yeah, it's, I mean, I'll be honest. I've as, as a fan of a team that has often taken the lumps from Urban Meyer, 
I just did not understand him trying to make this jump to the NFL. It's like, you're not an NFL coach. I think we're going to find that out very quickly. Obviously, week one was not a good performance. And uh, eventually, I don't know if it's going to be a, a brain cyst or heart palpitations, but something I think will, will come up here soon for Urban as he goes to the drawing board to try to figure out his way to get to USC. <laughs> I, I don't sense any of that college hatred from you at, at, at all here, No, Davey. I'm completely unbiased. <laughs> He's Davey Hudson, the host of Believe in Titans. You can follow him on Twitter at Davey underscore Hudson. Really appreciate you coming on and helping break down this game. Brandon, thank you for having me. Look forward to hopefully doing it again in the future. Thanks once again to Davey for coming on the show and helping look ahead to this game on Sunday. Can't wait. Looking forward to talking more about it. We're going to be talking with Clinton Bonner and Phil Lydic, and we're going to be doing our What If preview show once again. Look for that on Friday. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. That way you can get it in your podcast feed as soon as it comes out. And head on over to fieldgoals.com. Because I am going to the game on Saturday, I may not have that morning injury report for you this weekend. So uh, if you're going to want your injury news, head on over fieldgoals.com. Mookie Alexander right now has got the enemy reaction, which is always a favorite. And also some rankings up there. ESPN's FPI has Seattle as the fifth best team in the NFL. So if you want more details on that, check out Wilson Kahn's story. So there is going to be plenty to keep you busy between now and Sunday kickoff. So until next time, go Hawks.